This is an ABC podcast. There, there is no other alternative for a Prime Minister than the rule of law. To Scott Morrison, stop dealing with this as a political problem and start doing the right thing. Not so much a tin air as a wall of concrete. Having children doesn't guarantee a conscience. Women who have put up with this rubbish and this crap for their entire lives. I've had a gutful. I have had an absolute gutful. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RN Drive and Afternoon Briefing, joining you from lockdown on Wurundjeri country. And I'm Frank Kelly from RN Breakfast, joining you from lockdown in my living room on Gadigal land of the Aurora Nation. And soon we're going to be joined by Catherine Murphy, political editor with Guardian Australia, to talk about, well, to talk about what's happening, the challenges our nation faces at the moment on the lockdown front, on the vaccination front, and of course, therefore, on the economic front, given Melbourne and Sydney alone account for around 44% of Australia's economic output. But first, the lockdowns. South Australia joined Victoria and New South Wales in introducing restrictions to try and control an outbreak of this hugely contagious Delta variant of COVID. In, uh, in all three cities, now all three in hard lockdowns, the case numbers are still going the wrong way, they're going up, but it's, according to our leaders, not an exponential rise. Um, so that's the spin they're putting on it. The lockdowns are working. I think we've got to wait a few more days to make sure that is so and hope that that is so. Um, but these lockdowns have really focused attention on the vaccine rollout. It's put all the pressure back on the federal government and the New South Wales government has voiced concern over the ongo ongoing challenges. Here's the New South Wales Health Minister, Brad Hazard. Look, the big issue is there's plenty of AstraZeneca around. That's not the issue, it's the Pfizer. And AstraZeneca is principally uh, obviously being delivered through GPs. Um, and the GPs have not been, there are not enough GPs to actually give the AstraZeneca. So there's not enough GPs and there's too much AstraZeneca, I think is what, what Brad Hazard is saying. The state leaders all crying out for more Pfizer doses. But in response this week, we had the guy in charge of the vaccine rollout, Lieutenant General John Fruin, um, warning that Australians under 40 are unlikely to receive a Pfizer dose until late September or early October. He couldn't have been clear about it. He said it'll be months, not weeks. So where does that leave this desire to get this vaccine rollout going? Is it AstraZeneca or bust in the short term? It, look, it is based on what's coming in and what's going to be available. And politically, this is a huge problem for the federal government because... We now have, as you said, three significant lockdowns, numbers that are very worrying in New South Wales. And even in Victoria, where I think a lockdown was announced quickly uh, because, you know, clearly the Premier and the health officials here had looked over the border and thought, we just don't want to look like that. And we also don't want to go to a return of 2020 ever again. Still, the numbers are growing. We're recording this on a Thursday morning. We've got our highest day in Victoria and we're in lockdown. So it demonstrates that this variant is a sort of not only super infectious, but really it is 
don't mess with this variant, right? Like it, it will challenge you in a way that you cannot control uh, and any foot wrong will be such a challenge. So the only way to address it, obviously, is getting jabs in arms. Everyone knows that, um, it, you know, it, and still that won't be the entire solution to the Delta strain or any subsequent strains. But we now have a federal government and the person they've put in charge telling us that the people who are vulnerable, the people who move around, the people who are in a lot of insecure work, the people in hospitality, all of this are actually not going to be able to get a vaccine until the end of the year. So we're in July, towards the end of July. I'm gonna, I've got to be pretty blunt. It looks like a very long, bleak winter for many Australians. And clearly, this is a politics podcast. People are going to look to the federal government and say... You had one job, right? You had one job and not doing that job the way you should have is now devastating the community and devastating the economy. And that is, I think, a very big problem for the Prime Minister. And I think some of the grumpiness we're seeing from him, because I think he's been quite grumpy, um, is because he knows the truth. He knows he's in big, big trouble politically because he's messed this up. Yeah, I mean, I think when you talk about the grumpy PM, I think you might be referring to the tone of a press conference earlier in the week, and we'll we'll talk about uh, his attack on ATAGI, the immunisation expert task force, a little later when Catherine joins us. But, yeah, his tone in that, he was a prime minister coming out, you know, more than half the country is in lockdown, and for some reason his, his sort of encouragement came out came out to all of us in this very grumpy tone. It wasn't encouraging. It was more like we were being told off. So clearly, you know, he's he's wrong-footed by where things are at. We, we'll talk about the polls later probably, but PK, you might want to talk about them now, but there's been a, str- <laughs> a string of polls this week all showing the government losing ground and the Prime Minister losing ground. So he's he's under pressure and, um, you know, he's lashed out at Atagi. We've had a fair bit of lashing out going on all around the last couple of weeks, which I think people really don't want to see. They just want to see the positives, the the movement forward, um, because there's a lot going wrong. We know that, hence 14 million Australians in lockdown. Um, But people want to look at, you know, be reminded of what's going right. We do have an enormous number of people working incredibly hard, including citizens who are all lining up in South Australia, for instance, for eight or nine hours at a time to get tested. You know, such is is the citizens' desire to do the right thing and be good citizens. We've got contact tracers and testers up all night um, working for the greater good. We've got our political leaders and our health experts working around the clock. I think all of that is good and, and appreciated. Um, um, but we, we're we not going forward as we wanted to in a position that many of us never dreamt we would be back in at this point. I think you're right. Certainly New South Wales looks like it's going to be locked down for all of winter, I suspect, or mm-hmm. pretty close to. Let's hope the same is not true for Victoria and South Australia. But, you know, the Prime Minister got it all wrong in that tone, but he's trying to shift something here, isn't he, PK? He's not just responsibility. He's trying to shift action on, on the vaccine front. Look, he's desperate for AstraZeneca to be become the preferred vaccine because he knows he's got a lot of it, right? Mm. Uh, look, and, and you know... that's what he banked on. That's what he that's bet what on. That's what he banked on. So he's, he's, and he's, and his irritation at Atagi, which we'll get into with Catherine Murphy, but is just completely, completely inappropriate. They are the health experts. Like, just imagine this, guys, as you're listening to this. This is a bunch of, sorry to use this word, but now it's a positive, just nerds, nerds that get together and look at the science 
and then do a cost-benefit analysis, a risk analysis, sorry, I should describe it as, and then provide advice. They don't need to be pressured by the Prime Minister or suggested anything from the Prime Minister because the supply issues are a problem for him. That's his political problem. They're just telling you, based on the risk currently in the community, this is what we think, this is the preferred vaccine. And people trust them. That's his big problem. People listen to them and they think, well, if if they say that if I'm under 60, I should probably wait for Pfizer, I probably will. That's Mm. his issue. And even older people have become hesitant. And he has to take some responsibility, I think, for his part in this. Now, they've provided the advice. That is their job, right? It's conservative. Well, they've they've decided that they were going to base it on conservative advice based on what was happening in the country around them. A couple of things on this, and I think it's really important to mention. One is they did revise the advice in the wake of the New South Wales outbreak. They did. They said, if you're in an outbreak area... Go talk to your doctor if you're under 60 because, you know, the risk has changed. Mm. So they've done that. What he wants them to do, I I think they've done. I don't know if he wants them to yell it out differently or I think what he wants them to do is to broaden it and to sort of shout it from the rooftops because, yes, they say it. This is the preferred vaccine, which means, therefore, you you know, it's safe. You can go off and you have the choice. If you want to get the other one, go and do it. But on the balance of risks right now, this is the preferred vaccine. The Prime Minister wants them to update that because the balance of risks has clearly changed. It's changed in in Sydney, not just in those uh, three local government hotspots, but all of Sydney. I think it's changed now across Melbourne and in Adelaide and beyond. Um, So the balance of risk has changed for a a good swathe of Australia. And I think the Prime Minister would like Atagi to update its risk um, analysis advice on that. Now, but even if they do it, PK, they're just an expert advisory panel. They're not sort of experts in public health communication. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm told by others who know this process that Atagi are very aware of the impact of their advice on behaviour and on on potential hesitancy. They're aware of that and it played on them heavily. But their job is to give independent advice on the balance of risks to government. And then presumably, and we've said this before here on the party room, it's the government's job, the Department of Health, all those health officials and others, to get together to work out what the message is from this. And that's where I think we've fallen down. Clearly, we need stronger messaging now that the balance of risks has changed that the risks of AstraZeneca and blood clots and dying of blood clot are very minuscule and, in fact, they've diminished since we first heard of this threat because our medical experts have got much better at, A, recognising it and, B, dealing with it before the the blood clotting risk gets too serious. So that's a a factor. Um, Mm. But also to sort of contrast the risks of having a a blood clot from AstraZeneca compared to the risks of getting very, very ill, if not dying, from COVID, which is very much in sort of our, our lives at the moment. And I think that should be a job for health professionals and they should stop fighting about it and get on and do it. Yeah, and the other part of of what I think he's done wrong is by blaming it on them. They when they first changed their advice and were more cautious about the use of AstraZeneca. Do you remember that really late night press conference? I remember actually I was uh, on a rare holiday <laughs> when I was allowed to travel. Uh, I was in you know far north Queensland. Lucky you got that holiday uh, in when you did, PK. But you know what? Because I'm crazy and, you know, this, you're not going to be surprised by this story, Fran. I was streaming on my phone, you know, in a remote place, this press conference that was late at night, um, well, in the evening, um, Mm. where he was very kind of, the the advice has changed and it was very shocking. 
that was a communications blunder, was it mm. not? Mm. You know, they provided right. different advice, but he made it out. I mean, it was kind of a scary press conference. It was like, this is, oh, be really careful. Did you, did you I mean, you know, when's well, well, he going right. to be responsible so, so for that? They were making a virtue then of the fact of we're listening to the experts and as soon as we get this information, we're going to pass it on to you. Well, all very good. We like the politicians to listen to the health experts. Um, but that was part of the, um, I think, a risk strategy on the part of the federal government at that time and still, which is to, in a sense, um, take shelter behind we were just following the health advice. And you're right, by calling a late night press conference like that and sort of trumpeting it, we're all going, whoa, 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 this, is, this must be an emergency announcement. Uh, whereas certainly with hindsight, that um, sort of made us all take notice of something where it could have been presented in a different light and still since, I think, hasn't really been presented in a more balanced light. I I think you're absolutely correct there. All right, let's get into it. Let's bring our guest in. (laughs) Catherine Murphy, Guardian, Australia's political editor. Welcome to the party room. Hello, how are you both in lockdown? We're just loving it, loving life in lockdown. This is exactly Um, how I thought 2021 would be for me. Is it? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I just thought this is exactly where I wanted to be in my life. Anyway, Mm. back to you, Fran. Well, I've been completely taken by surprise, but looks like I'm going to get used to it. Um, Catherine, vaccines underpins all of this. The Prime Minister has admitted responsibility and regretted some mistakes the government made early on, but he also, again, made it crystal clear he thinks that the expert panel on immunisation, ATAGI, got it wrong, we've been too cautious. He said he's regularly appealing to ATAGI to address that. It's a constant appeal, I can assure you. It's a constant appeal. A constant appeal, and that was said with a little smile, a little raised eyebrow. Is it fair enough the Atagi advice did undermine some confidence in AstraZeneca? I think that's clear. Is the answer now, though, for them to change and strengthen that advice or for the government to sort of take the reins and run a very clear, very powerful communication campaign around why AstraZeneca is basically not the devil, why it's worth getting the vaccine at this time and, and the comparatively low risk of it? What do you think? I, I just want to step back just half a half a centimetre on that and just sort of uh, start with the responsibility, taking responsibility issue. Now, it is true that the Prime Minister yesterday said, I'm accountable, uh, you know, things go wrong, but we're going to make them better. That That is all true. But uh, he's not, uh, he's, he's sort of try, trying to project this sense that he is accountable, but somehow not answerable. And then that brings us back to Atagi and and the medical advice. The other thing that was very confusing to me yesterday about the Prime Minister's position was that uh, he, he said simultaneously that he is trying to lobby the experts to change their medical advice, right, mm. so that's active, mm. but then somehow he wasn't able to do anything other than accept their advice, which is passive. Mm. So... And, and in terms of this whole responsibility point, Fran, uh, obviously the, the political heat is, is rising uh, because uh, voters, people in the community are, are conscious that the government has made mistakes. 
in this vaccine rollout, that things have not gone as well as they should have gone. So that is creating a lot of pressure around the government because obviously that negative feedback, it just, it, it just runs on a loop, right? Mm. So the Prime Minister is attempting to walk a line where he says, yes, look, it hasn't been perfect, but please don't blame me. That's basically what he's saying. That's what he's been saying for several mm. days. And and there are different iterations of don't blame me. Yesterday's was Atagi has stuffed up. Atagi has said a bunch of incomprehensible things about AstraZeneca, which has increased hesitancy. Now, objectively, that is true. Mm-hmm. Atagi has said different things. A bunch things. of incomprehensible things, yes. Yes, yes. That, that, that is absolutely right. But... Again, uh, there is this strange dynamic where the Prime Minister wants to present himself as, uh, you know, prevailing, the plucky guy who comes in and sorts out the problems, but he doesn't actually fully want to own responsibility for them. But then that's the thing, though, Catherine, what you say is exactly right, because in terms of whether he's the plucky guy coming in to sort out the problems, I mean, when he says, you know, his question on you know, if the Atagi advice was just advice independent, you could take it or leave it in a sense. He Mm. throws back, well, surely you wouldn't want us to ignore the expert advice. And the answer to that is true. But we would like the government to to look at that advice and and look at the implications of it and then work out an action plan to make sure that, you know, there was clear communication so that it wasn't just a bunch of incomprehensible things from the vaccine experts, but it was a a clear, nuanced message that um, people... People could follow and could decide for themselves with the right information at hand what action to take. And that's what I feel we still haven't got. No, that's right. And look, I'm one of these people, one of these nerds. I mean, you know, people listening who know me and know my work know that I am a massive nerd. I've been glad to see experts back on the field in the mm. pandemic mm. because experts have been absent in a whole bunch of other really important policy debates. So I'm really glad to see the experts back. Uh, And I'm really glad to see governments listening to experts. But at the end of the day, we elect governments to make decisions. And Scott Morrison can't be both passive and active in the same Mm. sentence. I'm sorry, it's just like it logically doesn't compute. Now, it's sort of like he's trying to say... Uh, you know, you can't get good help these days. My experts <laughs> basically have, uh, you know, have said a, a bunch of things that is that have increased hesitancy. Aren't they naughty? Oh, but I'm I'm utterly in their thrall. I'm mm. a slave to their advice. Now, nonsense. Uh, we 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 elect leaders in democracies to make decisions and communicate those decisions to the public. Uh, that that's that's the job. That, that is what prime ministers do. So obviously, look, I'm, I, I'm, not just, I'm not trying to say here Scott Morrison is wicked and Atagi you know, has no case to answer. Atagi, of course, Atagi has a case to answer. But it's just, I think this sort of active passive thing yeah. <laughs> that the prime yeah. minister is trying to do in full public view, I think we need to call him on it. Yeah, I think, I think uh, we do too. But how about the muscling up to Atagi too? Like, oh, well, oh, constantly, I'm constantly mm. asking them. Are you? Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, well, that's well, a bit well, weird, isn't it? Well, exactly. It's sort of like it, 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 this is the bit of the you know of the kind of logic line that just doesn't add up. It's sort of like, of course, I must do exactly what these people say, uh, but I'm here. I am standing up in public, telling them what to do. Yeah. It's like. And, and everyone else is looking around, going, "Okay, the Delta variant is everywhere. Half the country is in lockdown." 
what's the clear message here? Mm. Give us the updated message in terms of balance of risks with um, clear comparisons of risks on what our options are so that we can make up our own minds and don't just say go talk to GP because most people don't have a GP. Many of us have to wait weeks to get into the GP and then yeah. the GPs, you know, they're not exactly sure either. All they can do is follow the advice of a target. So we're back where we started. Exactly. exactly. It's sort of like this spiral we can't get out of. Uh, but uh, look, I mean, uh, I have taken the AstraZeneca vaccine myself. I've had dose one. Before I did that, I read the Atagi position. Uh, I, I consulted my own GP. I watched everything that these all these protagonists and characters are saying, <laughs> and I exercised judgment. Now, uh, you know, you might say, well, bully for you, Catherine Murphy, aren't, you know, aren't, aren't you great uh, that you... That, no, that's not what I mean at all. It's just that, I mean, I couldn't decide <laughs> based on everything I was hearing. <laughs> yes! So, so, yes! So because I, it's overwhelming. Be, yes, exactly. So, so I just... I just exercise my own best judgment. I, yeah. I read the stuff and I exercise my own best judgment. I don't want to convey a message on this pod. None of us are, but I just want to be very clear. I am pro-vaccination. I mm. think the only the only way we get out of this crisis is by vaccination. I think the risks associated with AstraZeneca after I read all the stuff uh, were, were sufficiently low that I would go off and do it, right? Mm. So, and And also... Look, to be fair to them, obviously, um, you know, when the facts change, you, you, you need to change your mind and we need experts to have that flexibility, right? Like at the moment, as you said, Fran, yeah. like the, the balance of risks have shifted again. That's the point. And it's clear um, to everybody. Yeah. It's, that's not like a secret. No. Half the country's locked no, down. No, obvious. No, absolutely the, not a secret or the worst secret you've ever seen because it is absolutely in public view. So, yes, the balance, the balance of risks have shifted. So I think what the Prime Minister was attempting to do in sentences that didn't make sense yesterday was to send uh, a target, a, a public message, hey, guys, look, the risks have, ch- have mm. changed. Uh, do you want to look at this again? Which and, look, they presumably, can. you know, they yeah. look at this all the time. Every week. Yeah. That's yes. what they do. And they've already changed. As soon as the, the outbreak started, they already changed their advices. I was saying earlier before you, you entered the party room, they already did that. Look, I just think if we can analyse on this political podcast the uh, political ramifications of the Prime Minister's um, trouble with using the word sorry or, yes. or taking accountability, I think it's important because there's a lot of pressure on him. We know that. Scott Morrison's approval rating has taken a dive. According to the latest news poll, the PM's approval rating sits at 51% satisfied and 45% dissatisfied. And in the essential poll, Scott Morrison is down nine points in just a month from 53% to 44% approval. It seems like Scott Morrison, to me, Catherine, is in a world of hurt. Now, I know, you know, polls, we, you, you and I are quite cynical about them. So I know Fran is too. But this, this is mood, mate. This is the mood of the nation. Catherine... He's really, really taken a hit from this, hasn't he? His management of the communications around this as well. There are those metrics that you've um, you've run through there, PK. I think one of the most interesting metrics in our most recent uh, Guardian Essential poll was the 15-point decline in uh, public perceptions that Scott Morrison is good in a crisis, right? From March to May, that's down 15 points. So he has absolutely copped it in terms of the, in the court of public opinion. And if you you speak to government MPs, the consistent message you get from people at the moment is they are being hammered at the local level, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne. 
Uh, people are very anxious, they're worried, they're putting together a story that says we could have been a long way, a lot further down the path of vaccination by now, uh, and the Commonwealth is responsible for the vaccination program, and yet we are not where we should be. So we're, we're, we're here in winter, we feel like sitting ducks. Here's a new variant, right? So yes, the Prime Minister at the moment is in a substantial degree of difficulty. We haven't seen him in this degree of difficulty since the bushfires, basically, which was the crisis before the crisis. Uh, now, look, on the flip side, obviously, if the government can get these Pfizer doses in the country in the last quarter of this year, if the rollout can uh, basically not be sort of plagued by botch-ups, if a lot of the, you know, the community turns up, gets the jabs... And then, you know, that percentage of the population increases, then then that makes life easier for the Prime Minister. He's got a better story to tell. But if we look at America, uh, it's very interesting at the moment because obviously the America is much further advanced down the vaccination curve than Australia. Many more people in their communities have been vaccinated. But now they've sort of hit a point where they're sort of now getting into the vaccine hesitant territory. So they can't sort of get those vaccination rates up to a level that you would equate with herd immunity. So look, it's, this is a long-winded way of saying the PM's in some political trouble now. He may be able to ameliorate it if things get a bit better, but things are going to remain complicated for him and for Australia for quite a period of time. Catherine, on another issue, the Sex Discrimination Commissioner, Kate Jenkins, has had a busy week. She released an interim report this week on uh, her investigation into the culture in Parliament House. Is it a safe workplace? This is following, you know, prompted by the rape allegations made by Brittany Higgins at the start of the year. Um, what did we learn from that? And also, I'm dying to find out, Catherine, where some of these other reports are. The, the Gaitchens report, for instance. Mm -hmm. Phil Gaitchens, head of PM&C, was given the job of finding out who in the Prime Minister's office knew of the uh, rape allegations, uh, when did they know, what did they know. The Prime Minister commissioned this inquiry 150 days ago and in May, Phil Gaitchens told the, the inquiry that he would have that report finished in weeks, not months. It's now late July, nothing. Yes. Are we ever going to get this report? <laughs> Good question. Well, the government has made no commitments on whether or not that report will ever be released. I think possibly one of the moving parts in where is the Gaitchens report is whether or not uh, the the departmental head, Phil Gaitchens, has had an opportunity to speak directly to Brittany Higgins uh, as of yet. Uh, look, I don't know the answer to that, but that might be one of the hold-ups, as it were, or that could have happened weeks ago and the government could be sitting on this report and not releasing it. Like I said a minute ago, there's been no guarantee at any point that Which this... Which is outrageous. It, it is. It's outrageous yeah. if this is not released. No, no, no. I, I, I completely and utterly agree with that. In terms of the Jenkins process, yes, uh, we got an interim report uh, this week which gave us some stats about participation in it. I think she said sort of in the order of 340-something uh, uh, engagements with her inquiry, uh, mainly staff, uh, not many politicians. Now, I, I saw the, there's sort of been some, uh, oh, well, that's, that's pretty bad if politicians aren't engaging. And look, I get that. But I think really the critical voices that need to be heard are, are staff in this mm. process, are people without the power rather than the powerful people. Uh, and I'm quite glad that they seem to have come out 
in, in a relatively large cohort and have trusted this inquiry and had their say. Now, it'd be very interesting to see how Kate Jenkins <laughs> pulls that all together at the end yeah. uh, because, I mean, I do know some people who have participated in the inquiry. I understand their stories. So it'll be really interesting to see how she pulls it together at the end. This is a very important report, guys. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we, we really do need the environment here to be different. And if the environment here is different, let's call that a down payment on making life better for the rest of the Australian community. Beautifully yeah, put, Catherine. Great guest as usual. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Good to Thanks, see you. Murph. Well, good to good to hear you both. <laughs> That's oh, right. Shit. Sorry, Not we got me there, for right? A while yet, I don't no think one really gets to God. see us much anymore, oh, do they, Dals. Fred? Oh, Dals. <laughs> Questions without notice, the Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, and, and I'm pleased the question time at least is happening, Mr Speaker. Yeah. The bells are ringing. That means it's time for question time, and this week's question comes from Liv, who writes, I am hearing and reading a lot about how Anthony Albanese is not being an effective opposition leader, particularly in terms of holding the government to account. My question is, what can he do to be more effective, or what could, or rather, what would an effective opposition leader be doing, Bran? It's one of those questions where you don't sort of, in many ways you can say, well, I'll know it when I see it. Um, yeah. But it is tough for an opposition. Certainly through last year, Anthony Albanese and the opposition, I think, made the right decision to not try and be sniping from the sidelines when the whole country was in lockdown and we were trying, clearly everyone was trying to work out how to manage this. This was a, a global problem. Australia, Australia's national cabinet political leaders uh, did well and Anthony Albanese's only complaint at the, at the time really was, if this is a national cabinet, surely the federal opposition leader should be a part of it. You know, at the time I thought he had a fair point, but it was very difficult for them. It's, it still seems as though it remains difficult. I mean, I think one thing Anthony Albanese is doing very well is just refining the message to simply, you know, the Prime Minister had two jobs, vaccination and quarantine, and he's failing at both of them. And I think a lot of Australians look on and think, well, that's right, clearly the vaccination program is not where we want it to be, fail, and we wouldn't perhaps be in this position we're in now if the quarantine situation had been different. So I think those are fair points made. But it still is hard, I think, and there's some disquiet, I think, within Labor ranks, perhaps, PK, that the opposition isn't sort of cutting through more, isn't landing more blows. But I don't know, I still think it is sensitive. People don't really like a lot of political punch up at the time when, you know, they're doing it hard in lockdown. They'd rather everyone be focused on how to get us out of this. Um, but at the same time, there's an election in the offing and the opposition needs to be making itself known to people. Yeah, it's funny. I have a lot of people who say to me, just, you know, people in my life, you know, school drop-offs when I used to do them, like I mean in that sort of world, you know, where is Anthony Albanese? Um, if, you know, if he was a good opposition leader, he'd be out every day criticising and I say, he is. Yeah. You just can't hear him. He is out and about a lot, <laughs> isn't he? He is. So what you're really saying is he's not having cut through and I think that's accurate why is he not having cut through? Well, I think one of the reasons is the times we're in. Uh, I think it's a really, really hard, hard sort of space to cut through in. Equally, look at what we've been saying throughout this podcast. The Prime Minister is under genuine deep pressure. And this, you would think, is the big chance, right? Particularly the vaccine rollout. Um, perhaps, you know, there is something you can't put your finger on. 
with opposition leaders or, or leaders full stop. There is something you can't just quite grasp it, the X factor. And maybe maybe that's the issue. I'm not, not certain, but maybe maybe that's maybe that's the bigger issue. You know, sometimes a, a charismatic yeah. leader that can really punch through, it, it, there is something intangible about it. And um, I think that's partly the story. Yeah, maybe it's the X factor, but also it's sort of a time-worn philosophy of oppositions when your opponent's under pressure and the attention's all on them and the heat's all on them, don't do anything to get in the way and distract from that. So, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, what does Labor stand for? You know, there'll be an election soon. They haven't put out any policies. Well, that clearly is an Albanese strategy to not make them a big target. Bill Shorten did that. They were effectively a government in waiting in that last period before the election and during the election time, and all the heat was on Labor. Um, Anthony Albanese has looked at that and thought, "Mm, I'm not doing that again. Um, That is frustrating for people who want a Labor opposition leader to be talking about Labor policies. He doesn't want to do that yet. He just wants to leave the space for the heat to be on Scott Morrison. So some of that is that as well. Yeah, and look, uh, let's see how it goes. Uh, I mean, sometimes people think, where is that amazing, charismatic, cut-through opposition leader? But I've always thought, you know, watch this space. Um, sometimes well, governments lose elections, don't oh, they? Oppositions don't win them. that was going to be my line. We've, oh, we've been in this business too sorry, long. Sorry, Governments lose elections. All right. Send your questions in because <laughs> we love getting them, especially when Fran Kelly answers them better than I do. You can tweet using the hashtag The Party Room or email your questions to thepartyroom at abc.net.au. And you can follow us on The Party Room on the ABC Listen app or on your favourite podcast app. Well, that's it for the party room this week. See you, Fran. See you, PK. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.